Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That scripture is very special in my heart because it does give hope for the future. As I have volunteered at Echo Glen Children's Facility over the years, I shared this scripture many times and saw the hope it also gave many incarcerated high school students. God did have a plan for their future. Several years after I left there, I received a message from a young woman who had been in detention there for seven years. She is now a free woman, happily married, and has two small children. She wrote, you will probably never know the great hope you, your family, and the youth group gave to me. Truly an indescribable gift. You gave me an inspiration that I will never forget. Because of you and your youth group, I actually went and spoke to alternative high schools, juvenile detention centers, and women's shelters. I could only hope that my story could impact some lost teenager the way I was impacted by you all. I don't think I ever said thank you. Her hope and mine was not in vain. That's God's promise. So Jesus, your word was relevant to God's people then, and it is relevant to us now. So God, we pray that today you would help us see how it's relevant, how it matters to our lives. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of all of our hearts this morning would be acceptable to you, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's great to be in worship with you all this morning, and I want to be sure to welcome all of you who are watching online as well. Just in case we haven't met before, my name is Daniel Triller, and I am the interim high school pastor here at Bell Pres, and I always cherish the opportunities that I have to worship with you, so it's great to be with you this morning. We are nearing the end of our summer sermon series, and for those of you who are new or haven't been with us for a while, we've been doing a series called Words We Live By, where each week we've looked at a different verse from the Bible, a verse that is near and dear to someone in our congregation, and this morning we've got a great one, as Trina, who spoke in the video just ago, shares with us from Jeremiah 29.11. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this one. Bible Gateway, it's the most popular Bible website today. They put together a top 10 list of the most searched for Bible verses, and on that list, you will find this verse all the way up at number two, just behind John 3.16. And of course, it's easy to see why it's so popular. I mean, who doesn't like hearing that God has a good plan for their life? I mean, who, that God has a hope and future for them. I mean, who wouldn't want to hear that? And so it's a verse often prescribed to people who are going through a difficult season or trying to discern their future, who are just in need of a word of encouragement. I mean, this, this is the kind of verse that Hallmark lives for. <laughs> but here's the thing. As I've been preparing for this message, I've been finding this verse to be deeply convicting. I mean, I found it to be all the more hopeful and beautiful, but all the more convicting as well. I mean, because this just isn't the warm and fuzzy verse that I thought it was. And I think as we go through it together, you'll be convicted. Many of us will be as well. And I can't tell you why, right away why this verse is convicting, because it just won't make any sense. The hard truth is, this is a verse that almost everyone knows, yet knows almost nothing about. And so first things first, we've got some hard work to do. We've got to spend some time working through the text, understanding what it's all about, and we'll discover some things along the way. 
And so we're just creating a little bit of suspense here. And so we'll get things started by reading our verse again. It's Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And one of the first things we've got to figure out is what was going on with God's people when this verse was given to them. Well, earlier in the chapter, in verse 1, we're told this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests, prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so God's people were in exile, strangers in a foreign land. They had been taken from their hometown Jerusalem in a brutal, brutal attack. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar and his whole army destroyed the city. They burned down the temple, set fire to their houses, slaughtering thousands of people as they went. And the Old Testament prophets do not hold back in describing just how brutal this all was. Jerusalem, their home, was utterly destroyed. And for the few who made it out alive, they're now strangers in a foreign land, in Babylon, under the authority of a foreign country being led by a foreign king who worships other gods. And so this verse is part of a larger letter given to God's people in exile. It's a word of hope to the hopeless, a word of hope for God's people who don't see an end in sight, God's people who are strangers in a foreign land. And we've also got to ask the question, who? Who is this verse given to? In verse 4, the beginning of the letter tells us this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so this promise that God gives isn't given to one particular person. Rather, it's given to a group of people, all of God's people in exile. And so this verse really says, for I know the plans I have for you, for all of you corporately as God's people. And to hammer this home, I want to do a short, simple exercise. For those of you who are watching online, you can play from home as well. And it's really simple here. Using your finger, I want you to draw your initials on your forehead. It's that simple. Ready? Go. We're working through some heavy Bible stuff right now, so I thought we'd lighten things up and draw on our foreheads here for a few seconds. Now, what's really interesting about this exercise is how you drew them. Did you draw them so that they could be read by everyone else, or did you draw them so that only you can read them? You know, apparently psychologists use this exercise as a way to measure empathy, but I'm sure as your spouse will be quick to tell you, it probably doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but here's the point I'm trying to make. This verse isn't written to you. It's written to all of us, all y'all. And so we can't make the mistake of reading this verse as individuals and thinking that it's for I know the plans I have for you, for you personally, to give you the job you want, the spouse you want, the future you want. No, it's a corporate promise to God's people who are strangers in a foreign land in desperate need for a word of hope. And finally, we've got to ask the million-dollar question, what was this good plan that God had for his people? What is this hope and future that we're talking about here? Well, verse 10 says this, When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And so can you see it? This future hope? God has plans to bring them back to Jerusalem. 
back to their hometown, to their promised land where they will live in peace and prosperity. But as it turns out, there's even more. Because a couple chapters later, God's people are given the promise of a new covenant, a new covenant. And this is an absolute game changer. Because the reason why God's people found themselves in exile in the first place is because they broke the old covenant that was given to Moses back in Exodus. And in that covenant, God told them that there would be blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And as it turned out, generation after generation disobeyed the covenant. And so the curse has finally come. God's people utterly destroyed by a foreign power. And now only the small remnant remains as exiles, strangers in a foreign land. But now there's talk of a new covenant a promise of a renewed relationship between God and his people, a covenant that can't be broken, where their sins will be remembered no more as a Messiah will one day come and we call him Jesus. But here's where it gets really interesting. I'm sure you're all thinking, yeah, okay, I get it. But what in the world are we to do with this verse? I mean, as Christians today on this side of Jesus, what do we do? Because we know we're under a new covenant. We know we're not in Babylon, and we know we're not going back to Jerusalem. And so what's our move? What are we as a bunch of Gentiles supposed to do with the promise given over 2,000 years ago to a small handful of Israelites? Well, let's take a look and see what we've discovered so far. Where did God's people find themselves in Jeremiah 29? Well, it's this. God's people are strangers in a foreign land who live in light of a future hope. Let me say it again. God's people are strangers in a foreign land who live in light of a future hope, which is exactly, exactly where we as God's people find ourselves today. We as Christians, in a different way, we live in the same in-between, strangers in a foreign land who have this future hope. I mean, first, we're strangers in a foreign land. I mean, think about it. Jesus says, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of it. Paul says things like our citizenship is in heaven. Peter, in one of his letters, even describes us as exiles, and it's why last fall, we had a sermon series called Thriving in Exile, because we, too, are strangers in a foreign land. And the second part is true as well. We, too, live in light of a future hope. I mean, think about how this whole thing's going to end. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, a day when all creation is fully restored, when God's people are made new, bodies are healed, relationships redeemed, where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And so you and I as God's people are strangers in a foreign land living in light of a future hope. And this This is the moment where it gets deeply convicting to me. Because here's the convicting crisis. It's that on most days, on most days, I don't feel like a stranger in a foreign land. I don't feel like I'm in exile. I mean, to be brutally honest, on most days, on most days, if this is exile, sign me up. And sure, there are moments where I do feel like a stranger in a foreign land like every time I take a hot yoga class or hear a country song. (laughs) Absolutely. In those moments, I am a stranger in a foreign land. 
But you can imagine that's not really what we're going for here. You know, on most days I'm content and comfortable and satisfied with how life already is. And I'm sure there are many of you who feel this same way. And so that's convicting alone. But here's the other convicting part. I don't always feel like I'm living in light of a future hope. You know, one of the things that I've noticed in my own heart is that I've started to live into this belief that the world as I know it is all there ever is and ever will be. That essentially what you see is what you get. And so here's where my thinking goes. You know, if that's the case, then while I'm here, I've got to make the most of it. I've got to live into my potential. I've got to find the perfect job. I mean, shoot, I've got to get married because the clock is ticking. I've got to travel the world. I've got to get in in shape because as I've been told, it's all downhill from here, right? (laughs) And in subtle ways, I start looking at my time on earth as my chance to seek my own personal fulfillment. And so I find this verse deeply convicting because it takes my selfish, worldly thinking that I sometimes fall into and absolutely rejects it. I mean, this verse confronts all of us as it implores us to see our lives as strangers in a foreign land who live in light of a future hope. And I've been trying to figure out why many of us have this very same feeling. And I think some practical application will help. Because we've got to get practical here. You know, we've been diving deep into some heavy Bible stuff for a while now, which is great. But we've got to come up for air and start asking what difference does it make? You know, what difference does this all make that we as Christians have this identity as strangers in a foreign land who have this future hope? I mean, how does this change the way we live our lives right here, right now? Well, I think the applications are endless, but for today, we'll start with two. And the first is this. We are called to seek the peace and prosperity of the current city and world that we live in. You know, earlier in this letter, God says, build houses, plant gardens, have sons and daughters. And he even says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. And God warned the Israelites that exile was going to last for a while, 70 years in fact. But God doesn't say, hey, you guys, I know a thousand years is like a day to me, so 70 years, you guys should just wait this one out. You know, he says just the opposite. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. You know, some of the language that we use around here is being a part of God's rescue mission. And both are really getting after the same thing. And I know this may be the low-hanging fruit of all sermon illustrations, but Jubilee Service Day is the perfect example of seeking the peace and prosperity of our city. And you heard about it earlier in the video a few moments ago. It was a way for our churches across the east side to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our neighborhoods particularly in our local schools and around various homes. And so let me recap some basic stats. Over 2,000 volunteers served. Over 45 churches participated. 19 schools prepped for the new school year. 15 homes painted and yards transformed. And over 700 chair pockets sewn for elementary school classrooms. That might be my favorite stat. Now, I had the opportunity to serve at Newport Heights Elementary School where I was tasked with hanging one of those horizontal alphabet things high up on the wall, which I put up slanted, then took it down, then put up slanted again and tried to correct my mistake by using one of those cardstock borders, but that just made it look like a bad optical illusion. And I knew I had failed in my assignment when the teacher shrugged and told me, you know, my students weren't even going to notice anyway. 
But what I loved most was hearing from the principal afterwards about how the efforts of people like yourself were a gift to his staff, how it allowed them to spend more time focusing on their curriculum, and more importantly, spend time with their families. I mean, come on now. Talk about seeking the peace and prosperity of the city. And the possibilities as to how we go about this are endless, right? I had the chance to attend the Global Leadership Summit a couple weeks ago and was inspired by the way God's people around the world are seeking the peace and prosperity of the city. And there's a farmer in Mexico who started seeing his employees as people made in God's image, started investing in them, equipping them, teaching them, providing them with a sustainable income for their families. There was Burl Kane. He's a prison warden in Louisiana who helped bring restoration and renewal in one of America's most violent prisons by having Bible classes taught there on a regular basis and in doing so, flipped the culture upside down. And there was the Walgreens mid-level employee who fought passionately to implement their shot-for-shot program where for every shot given to someone in the States, a free shot is given to someone in the developing world who desperately needs it. God's people seeking the peace and prosperity of the city. And now as for why some of us don't necessarily always feel this way, that we don't identify with the identity, with the identity we're told we're, we have, here's what I'm starting to wonder about myself. Am I seeking the peace and prosperity of the city enough? Am I living too comfortably in my own Christian bubble, too focused on my own personal agenda? Because here's the thing, if we are willing to get outside of ourselves, if we're willing to seek the peace and prosperity of the city, we will inevitably, on some level, find ourselves in uncomfortable and challenging situations. I mean, we'll be forced to confront the darkness in in our world. I mean, think about it. If we're willing to fight for the flourishing of the city, we will have to confront the darkness of our world. And it'll become all the clearer to us that we are strangers in a foreign land, that this world as we know it is not as it's meant to be. And even more, it'll have us longing for and hoping for and praying for that future hope that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And here's an example of this. Last month, I got to lead our high school mission trip to Costa Rica, where we partnered with an organization seeking the peace and prosperity for the children in San Jose. And during our time there, our students heard about the rampant and legal child prostitution that took place in the city, and I couldn't help but notice how appalled, how disturbed our students were when they heard this, and rightfully so. And if we seek the peace and prosperity of the city, we will inevitably be exposed to darkness. We'll see ourselves as a stranger in a foreign land, living light of a future hope, wanting this new creation, this new thing to come all the faster. And so that's the first application. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Partner with God in his rescue mission. And here's the second one. As we live in light of a future hope, we as Christians are called to be hope carriers. And so as you seek the peace and prosperity of the city, you will inevitably find people who are desperately in need of a word of hope, who need people like us to be hope carriers. And think about it. That's what Trina, who shared in the video earlier, that's exactly what she was doing. Trina was and is a hope carrier. She took her youth group to a nearby correctional facility where she sat alongside a young woman who needed a word of hope. And what I especially love about her story is that not only was Trina a hope carrier for this young woman, but that in return, this young woman, having been released from prison, is now a hope carrier to all those she encounters, to those at alternative high schools, 
at juvenile detention centers, and at women's shelters too. I mean, we as Christians are called to be hope carriers, telling people about the hope they have in Jesus, that they are under a new covenant, and that through Jesus, their past, present, and future sins will be remembered no more. I mean, we as Christians are called to be hope carriers, telling people that this world as they know it isn't all there is and all there ever will be, that death will not have the final word, that a new creation is breaking through, it's knocking on the door, where one day bodies will be healed, relationships redeemed, it'll be life as it's meant to be. And so we are called to be hope carriers. And so there's at least a start in terms of some personal application. One, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which you are called. Partner with God in his rescue mission. And two, be a hope carrier to those around you. I'll finish by sharing with you where personally I'm at these days. You know, for me, I'm the interim high school director here, and right now I'm trying to figure out what the future holds for me, and I honestly have no clue. I mean, I feel like it's one of those fork-in-the-road moments, which feels a little dramatic, but that's how it feels like, right? And right now, I need this verse. I have to have this verse to remind me of the child of God I am, the identity in Jesus that I have, that I am a stranger in a foreign land living in light of a future hope. This is a word that I have to live by, and I think you guys do too. And so a few questions as we go. Will we seek the peace and prosperity of the city? Do we live in light of our future hope? Will we be hope carriers to our world that desperately needs it? And most of all, will we see ourselves as God's people, as strangers in a foreign land, living in light of a future hope? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So Jesus, we thank you for this word. Lord, it mattered then and it matters now. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a new covenant, that we have a renewed relationship with you. Help us understand how to live into this identity, to be strangers in a foreign land who have this future hope. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.